Well, the auto companies want you to be bigger than you are. You've done them a service because you bought 300 million in revenue when we bought JD Power. Today we're approaching 900 million. Yeah. How'd you pull that off? Well, you guys were helpful. <laughs> Thank you um, for the advice and capital. And uh, a lot of this be- does become a number of crunching exercise. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute an advertisement. Views expressed are those of the individuals and not necessarily the views of Toma Bravo or its affiliates. Toma Bravo funds generally hold interest in the companies discussed. This podcast should not be construed as an offer to solicit the purchase of any interest in any Toma Bravo fund. Welcome to Toma Bravo's Behind the Deal. I'm Toma Bravo founder and managing partner, Orlando Bravo, and that was Toma Bravo managing partner, Scott Crable, speaking with David Habiger, president and CEO of J.D. Power. J.D. Power is among the highly recognizable brands Toma Bravo has acquired. Thanks to their industry awards, the J.D. Power name is well known, but we believe their secret strength is that they are a data powerhouse for all things automotive. As you'll hear in this episode, the Toma Bravo-JD Power partnership has played a significant role in bringing together a fragmented industry. Toma Bravo's deal with JD Power is a case study in leveraging acquisitions to create more value. By acquiring JD Power shortly after acquiring Autodata, we were able to consolidate the data silos in the automotive industry. This offered a big value add for customers, allowing J.D. Power to expand both its offerings and its customer base. So today, you'll hear everything that went on behind the deal of this investment from Scott Crable, our deal lead and managing partner at Toma Bravo, followed by his conversation with J.D. Power president and CEO, David Habiger. I'm happy to be back for another episode of Toma Bravo's Behind the Deal. On today's episode, I'll be talking with David Habiger about how Toma Bravo has worked with J.D. Power to deepen customer insights and expand to more innovative offerings. My name is Scott Crable. I'm a managing partner at Toma Bravo. I have been with the firm for 22 years. I joined in mid-2002, and I am based out of our San Francisco office. I'm one of the six managing partners of the firm. I spend most of my time co-leading our application software investing effort and primarily focused on our flagship largest buyout fund. J.D. Power is a company that is well known to most folks. In fact, I think 90% plus of consumers know that brand. It's an incredible brand. So if you see an ad where the Chevy Silverado has been named the highest-ranked large heavy-duty pickup truck in new vehicle quality uh, by J.D. Power. That is the business that they're most known for. They do syndicated studies, benchmarks, performance rankings, and they give out awards and license those awards to brands, mostly in the automotive space. That's where they started. They've been in business for 50 years. They've expanded that awards business and the research business into financial services, insurance, But that's really only about 25% of J.D. Power's business. Most of their business, and it's a little bit less well-known, the other 75% are data, software, and technology products around the automotive space. So they have 14 data sets that they sell both as data sets and as insights that are derived from those data sets. And then they have a number of software products that they build on top of that 
database and intellectual property that they sell into automotive OEMs, so manufacturers, into dealers, into automotive websites, into insurance companies that really power all of the transactions that happen in the automotive space. It's a really, really important technology provider to the automotive sector. The story of our participation in the space actually happened before we acquired JD Power when we acquired a business called Autodata. We bought that business in mid-2019, and that was really our initial platform in the sector. We were excited to be in the automotive technology space because it's a large and growing space. We really like vertical market technology providers that power the business of the underlying industry that they're involved with. And in this case, we were investing in a, in a company that sold mostly data products as opposed to only software products. So it's a little bit unique to us. But the auto space is one of the largest users of data in the ecosystem of, of any vertical. JD Power today is about a billion dollar business and there are very few verticals that can support a data business of that size. And there are a few of them in the, in the automotive space. So we were really excited about the, the sector in general. We liked that it was a very fragmented sector. We could come in, make an acquisition, a platform company, and grow the business both organically through those data sets and new product development, but also through acquisitions in a very fragmented market with lots of different data sets that we could, could bring together. And Autodata in particular was an attractive company, a company of scale, $150 million of revenue, great diversified customer base. They had 90% of North American OEMs as, as customers, most dealerships, really, really highly recurring revenue stream, high quality of revenue, high retention rates, very sticky customer relationships, 10, 20-year type of relationships, and a company that had been in business for about 30 years had good growth characteristics and, and very high profit margins as well. So after we bought Autodata, uh, we began the process of executing on our value creation strategy. And one of the most important parts of that strategy was to consolidate a fragmented industry. So to grow Autodata through their you know, business as usual growth in the market, through new product development, organically, but also very importantly through acquisitions as well. And we felt that we could double, triple the size of the business over a three, four, five-year period by making acquisitions using Autodata as a platform. And our number one acquisition candidate was J.D. Power. Um, now, J.D. Power happened to be twice the size of Autodata, so a bit of a unique acquisition candidate. And we didn't know when or if it would, would come to market. And as fortune would have it, about two months after we acquired Autodata, the owner of J.D. Power decided to put that business up for, for sale. And we were very excited about that. It was great timing for us, having just closed on the Autodata acquisition. And we saw a really interesting opportunity to make a really more of a merger or a reverse acquisition, <laughs> as you might say, of a company twice the size. The J.D. Power team was really excited to work with Tomo Bravo. J.D. Power, when we bought Autodata, was the dream at first acquisition, the dream combination. Well, the same was true for the J.D. Power team. Before we bought Autodata, they felt that that was the dream combination, and they had tried to buy Autodata but weren't in a position to execute on that transaction. So once we bought the business and the company went up for sale, 
management was really excited about the prospect of working with Tomo Bravo, not only because of the reputation of our firm, the resources that we can bring to bear, our intellectual property, so to speak, and in terms of how to operate and run software and technology companies for maximum growth and profitability, but also the fact that we could bring auto data to the table and the, the strategic synergies between those two businesses. So we were in a unique position where management was really excited to, to work with us and was, I think, rooting for Toma Bravo to, to be the victor in the process. And it was a hard-fought process, but one that we did eventually pull out. But once we were successful in doing that and we're moving towards closing, we started working on our integration plan and how we were going to bring these two businesses together. It was unique in a few ways. Autodata, again, focused on data and software. JD Power also focused on data and software, but had the research and benchmarking and consulting business um, around the awards and the performance. And so we were bringing Autodata together with the data and software assets of JD Power, but then sort of leaving alone the benchmarking and performance business of J.D. Power. And J.D. Power had been run in three divisions. So they had their auto business that had a GM of that division. They had their automotive research business that had a GM, and then their non-automotive research business that had a, a GM. And Autodata had a CEO over the entire company. And then J.D. Power had a C CEO that those three GMs reported into. So when we brought the business together, we backed the CEO at J.D. Power and we kept their GM structure and we merged the auto data business into J.D. Power's data and, and software business. And the auto data CEO became the general manager of that 75% of the business that is data and software, while the two GMs of the research and benchmarking businesses stayed and continued to run their businesses. So it was a bit of a unique integration for us. Usually when we're integrating businesses, we're doing it on a functional basis and not necessarily on a division or general management basis, but that's the way this company was set up and, and that's the way we integrated these businesses. Tomo Bravo's role in the integration plan was really to be a partner with management to understand the business processes and the business metrics and to bring our best practices in terms of how a business is most efficiently run, both for growth and for profitability, to the management teams at JD Power and Autodata, who had never really done an integration like like this. So we've, you know, purchased 100 platform companies, made 300 add-on acquisitions. We have an operations group of former CEOs and CFOs and functional leaders, and we have a deep set of operational processes and metrics that we leverage to run our businesses, but also to help them most efficiently and effectively integrate two companies of this size and smaller acquisitions as we move along. So in May of 2019, we acquired Autodata. In December of 2019, we acquired J.D. Power. And as everyone knows, in March of 2020, three months later, the pandemic hit. So once the, the pandemic hit, we went into a, a mode uh, that we'd experienced before at Tomo Bravo in the dot-com bubble, when the dot-com bubble burst, in the global financial crisis, and other kind of economic shocks 
or even economic recessions. And we have a very well-worn process of going back, reevaluating our budget for the year, being very conservative, and pulling back a little bit on some investment or cost to continue to, to operate these businesses at a growing profit level. And so we did that with, with J.D. Power, um, and the management team was very collaborative in working with us to make sure that the business would continue to progress from a profit and an EBITDA standpoint, even in the face of a slower economy and what impact that might have on the company. The strategy with with the combination of Autodata and JD Power was to do two things. One, to continue to make acquisitions in the auto ecosystem of data sets and software technology that were, that were at would be additive to what Autodata and JD Power brought to the table. So with Autodata and JD Power, we had our VIN description data, we had our point of sale data, we had uh, used car valuation data. So we had four or five data sets, and we were looking to go and acquire other important data sets in the market and then leverage those data sets into new product development and new technologies that we could develop and sell into our customer base and provide more value to all these OEMs that are customers of JD Power and to drive organic growth through the, that new product development and then inorganic growth through the acquisitions. We bought Autodata first, about a billion dollars. We bought JD Power for a couple billion dollars. And we have now made eight acquisitions in about three and a half years for another 500 to $700 million in value. And we have one more pending that's a new acquisition of a company in Europe that's going to be the largest acquisition that we've done since the merger of JD Power and Autodata. It's a company about the same size as Autodata was when we bought the business. So we've made substantial acquisitions over the course of our investment hold. So where we stand today with the businesses that we own, we have 14 data sets between Autodata, JD Power, and the eight acquisitions that we've made, focused on the mostly on the North American market. We are focused on continuing to operate those businesses, grow those businesses, develop new products off the combination of those 14 data sets and enhance the organic growth of our underlying business and what we can offer to our customers in the North American market. The second thing we're focused on are some of the exciting trends that are happening in the auto space, the electrification of vehicles, autonomous vehicles, connected car data, smart cars, so to speak, the changing way that that cars are being purchased, modern retailing, more direct-to-OEM type of purchases, more direct-to-consumer type of retailing, and developing products to enable those trends. And then third, now that we've acquired or are about to close on a company in Europe that really is the leading provider does what JD Power does in the European market. We're looking to execute on the same strategy in Europe and to go 
more global with J.D. Power, which will open up organic product development opportunities and also a new acquisition path in Europe, where acquisitions to date have mostly been focused on the North American market to complement what we have here. We now have a platform in Europe that we can go ahead and execute on an acquisition strategy there in parallel with what we're doing in North America. There still is a huge untapped fragmented market in North America. We're going to continue with that acquisition, new product strategy in this market, but then add on the European market as we go forward. Up next, my conversation with J.D. Power President and CEO David Habiger. Tomo Bravo's Behind the Deal will be right back. Welcome back to Tomo Bravo's Behind the Deal. Here's my talk with David Habiger, President and CEO of J.D. Power. Welcome, Dave Habiger, CEO of of J.D. Power. appreciate you being here. You are the guinea pig, our first in-studio episode between Tomo Bravo and a CEO. So we're able to have Dave in in studio. And Dave's been the CEO of J.D. Power for about six years now. Dave's a three-time CEO prior to, to J.D. Power, so a very experienced executive, a Chicago Business School grad, a Chicago resident, and it's been a great, great, great partnership. So welcome, Dave, and good to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. Trying out the new studio. Yeah, excellent. You want to give a little bit of an overview of, of J.D. Power from your perspective, yeah. the elevator um, pitch? The elevator pitch is the simple way to describe it is two parts of the business. We've got what we call market research, which most people in uh, the U.S. are familiar with, uh, J.D. Power Award. Uh, That's a very small part of the business. We're really just a data collector in this particular part of the business, giving research back to the OEMs on what their customers think. And the larger part of the business is a data business where anything to do with a car, a VIN, how much car is worth when you trade it in, a residual value, the world of data and auto is looks a little bit more like 1980 or 90. You know, most industries have a pretty sophisticated understanding of the product and the business, and um, we're solving for that problem. So we're basically pulling in data sets and producing um, insights or um, specific details on a vehicle. And I think we, Tomo Bravo, we've now acquired hundreds of software data technology businesses and I think J.D. Power is the most well-known business we've ever purchased because of that awards and benchmarking yeah. business. And been in business for 50 years. So I think the stat is 90% of consumers surveyed know the J.D. Power brand. Yeah, it's, a, it's strange. We have zero marketing budget. We don't buy advertising. We don't advertise the brand. But when you rank the top 10 well-known companies, you know, McDonald's, Google, Mike, there's this weird outlier called J.D. Power. If you go on the street, You've got an 80% chance someone will go, yeah, I've I've heard of that and I know it. So everybody knows the rewards, but they don't know the data business, which is sort of the hidden gem of J.D. Power. And and it's the bulk of the business. So Dave, maybe we'll talk a little bit about how this all kind of came together and how we started working together. And we were fortunate to get into this auto data space, uh, pardon the pun, by buying a company called Autodata in May of, of 2019. Which we really wanted. Exactly, exactly. So maybe talk a little bit about your experience on the other side, having been interested in, in auto data and how this, how this yeah. all kind of came together um, for you. And I think it was maybe a year into 
my role at Chitty Power. But yeah, a great asset, one that fit well, we thought, and one that we didn't have the benefit of being able to buy. The upside is by the time you bought JD Power, you had done a lot of work to save me time and energy too. So thank you, because I, you know, it was a very easy, natural fit. It's it's solving for, like I said, a bigger issue in the industry. So if you look at, you know, Heinz Ketchup, you know, today Heinz knows exactly how many bottles of ketchup they sold. There's a whole ecosystem of information that flows. And the auto industry for being this trillion dollar industry is siloed with data, still is. And being able to put those data sets together is, you know, more than a one plus one equals two or three. I mean, it's five or six. So all of these little data sets piece together, you know, an understanding for the OEM, in this case, the using the auto manufacturers to build a better product, to get the right product at the right place at the right time. And that doesn't happen with just smart people. I think we have a lot of smart people at JD Power to really solve that problem. You need an independent third party, a Switzerland that one they trust in auto, we're as trusted as they get. And, you know, to be able to take that in, solve a problem is important. So Autodad, I think for us was kind of the revelation, like the thesis was right. It was a reasonably good sized deal. And in a short amount of time, you know, we could integrate. And then we just kind of selectively went around the, the industry and found ways to basically put the data sets together so our customers can build better products and safer products and and it continues to work. And sounds like the strategy made a lot of sense. It made sense from our perspective. It made sense for your perspective. That's one thing. And then another thing is how you bring the companies together and does the operations and the integration make sense. How did you think about it when we were going through this process and, and it was clear that we were going to back you to run this business? How you bring the two companies together, the management teams, the strategy, the operations? So I... I've done a lot of integrations and in general, I don't know if there's an exact formula, but for me, what's worked and I think for the team has been the second you merge, it's everyone's one team. You got to figure out how we're, who's in the right seat, who doesn't have a seat in some cases. And my speech usually is get ready because I think if you think you're the acquirer, you think, well, then I'm always the quarterback. That goes for the CEO too, by the way. Verice was mostly a startup person. And when you're a startup, you understand how everything works. And you very quickly get to, you you become a micromanager. And I was probably the worst of the worst micromanagers. And then realizing there's only one way to scale. You have to get really good people, put them in the right seat, be able to attract them and keep them, right? Like that's the job. So with Autodata, that worked. It really is, it's corny, but it really is the people. When you do an integration, it, it, the other stuff comes down, you know, you figure out the IT stuff, you figure out systems and process and regulatory things that happens naturally but early on you better get the right people lined up in the right spot and so far at JD Power we've done a pretty good job of that. I have a few observations on the integration. Um, I think you did a fantastic job and your whole team did. You brought the folks together from JD Power and Autodata. We have senior members of each of those organizations that are continue to be senior members of the team now. So you didn't bias one versus the other, your experience with the JD Power folks over the Autodata folks. And I think that did a lot culturally to bring the two businesses together in a pretty seamless way. So four years later, we have the same team that we started with, which is a true testament to the quality of the team and also the culture that that you have and the, and the bond that you all have as a group, which is fantastic. 
The second observation is the way you run the business is a little bit unique in the Tomo Bravo world. Most of our businesses are run functionally. And when we integrate, we're bringing the functions in and integrating them from a functional perspective, sales, marketing, and so on and, and so forth. At JD Power, you have a divisional structure where you have GMs across the key divisions of the business, and then you have functional leaders that work with those GMs in technology or finance or HR or legal. And so that's made it interesting and maybe a little bit easier to bring in those big acquisitions where you keep the founder or the CEO who's really driving that business and they can kind of plug into the the GM structure. And then the smaller acquisitions, you then really do integrate them, you know, yeah. more functionally underneath. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting trade-off because I never was a fan of that model generally. That's It probably doesn't follow a pattern in my prior leadership roles. It works here. And there's always a trade-off on these two. So there's not a science or, or an exact right way. The trade-off in our model is it's easier to scale and you tend to keep really good people. We've been able to I think we do a great job of keeping key people in a parallel universe. If the if the job was to say, well, let's just steady Eddie, let's you know kind of stay a nice same size business and not invent and kind of grow as much, I think that's probably not the right model. But yeah, it's worked for in this, and it continues to. It may not, you know, in the future, maybe we rethink it. But right now, it's me- meant that you know I can get hit by a bus and this company does fine. And you could take out a lot of the leadership team, and the business has a really deep bench. And a deeper bench than I've seen at a lot of companies. I mean, it's not a hub and spoke. I mean, the the worst thing you run into in my experience at companies is the it's got to get run up the flagpole of the CEO, and no one wants to make a decision, and it just doesn't. You can't grow that way. I wake up every day and go, how do I flatten this thing? How do I flatten it? Flatten it? Flatten it? And I always think if you know who the CEO of the company is, you got a problem, right? But you got to minimize that role, and someone's got to make certain decisions, but uh, to the extent that the CEOs in the background is my, I think, a good thing. And another best practice that we can kind of put into our our toolkit. We appreciate you showing us the way there. And so we had the the deal done. I think in December of 2019, we bought Autodata in May of that year. Right. December, we buy JD Power. You execute on this integration pretty quickly. You know, we've got all these grand plans. We've put together a four or five year financial plan and a strategic plan and this new product development that we're going to do, bringing well, these data sets together. And pandemic. <laughs> and, and the acquisitions that we're going to do, and we're going to double the size of the business. And then two months later, three months later, we're in a, a global yeah. pandemic. So yeah. the best laid plans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what that was like for, for you. It's a good test of a business. There's some ways that help the integration. I think it was a unifying thing early on. We, in the early days, thought, it, you know, this could be, we're going to see 20% hit, 30, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I mean, you can recall everyone <laughs> banking and finance, what's going to happen in the world. So we went into hunker down mode, probably overly aggressively. So we thought, okay, we're going to prepare for the worst. And at the time, our message was, look, no one's going to get laid off. Everyone's going to get 10% pay cut. Management team's going to get more than that. I went down to a dollar. It was like, you know, we're in it. You know, at least you can go and tuck your kids in at night and know you have a job. But we're going to stick a bunch of cash on the sidelines until we figure out what we're dealing with. And I'd say 95% of the company was very happy with that because they were worried about, you know, I'm going to lose my job and all the other things that come along with this stuff. Insurance, 
And after, you know, six months of that, I think we kind of came out the other end and said, okay, we gave everyone their, you know, whatever we held back in your 10%. I think that was the right. In hindsight, it'll be interesting to like ask everyone when the dust settles. I mean, when I ask the team now and employees who are, you know, someone at the reception desk, they still think, yeah, no, that was good. It was worth me taking, you know, knowing that you looked me in the eye and said, you have a job. So I think from a integration standpoint, I don't know, I'm sure it helped and hurt in some ways. Where I think it impacted us the most was I would have been a lot more aggressive with growth ideas that had a two to three to five year horizon or four year horizon. We certainly weren't swinging for the fences. I mean, it, we did well. Our numbers were good and the business did fine. But I think the cost was maybe I would have planted some seeds and been more risk averse and taken some more chances. But we figured it out. We did manage to do a few acquisitions that year. We did. Despite the, yeah. And so that we got the acquisition That was the low rolling. risk. I mean, I think you could look at it and it became clear to me. I'm always used to there's some big company that is, you know, is impacting how you succeed or fail in business. The auto industry doesn't have that. And so there is this real data problem that doesn't exist in most industries. I, and it still exists. So for us, the simple thing was you could take a data set by a company where you get what I would call data exhaust, where we put our data set, you know, combine the data sets and the customer has this great value and they are buying more things or paying more and everyone's happy. And that doesn't, usually it's a little more risky. Our, our And we, I suspect it'll be that way for another three to five years as we're becoming the person to pull these things together to build better products, safer products and, you know, solve for their data problem. Well, if the auto companies want you to be bigger than you are, you've done them a service because you bought 300 million in revenue when we bought JD Power. Today we're approaching 900 million. Yeah. How'd you pull that off? Well, you guys were helpful. <laughs> Thank you um, for the advice and capital. And uh, a lot of this be does become a number of crunching exercise. I mean, so part of the value add from a Toma Bravo perspective is you guys, you know, look at companies, assess them, buy them. It's not what I do for a living. I mean, I, it's a discipline I have, but I'm not an expert at it. Mm -hmm. So it is good to have, one, the knowledge that, that you guys have uh, around how to do some of these things. There's some clever, you know, ways to approach it and finance it and look at the, 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 the acquisitions. I think the other thing I didn't appreciate, I'll give you guys a pat on the back, is given that you're credible enough, so you quickly have credibility with the bankers, credibility with the buyer, you can have an honest, quick discussion. The other piece that I haven't seen in the past where it's been helpful with your model is service providers, software platforms. I, I actually push back a little bit. I'm like, okay, well, we got our own accounting systems or Salesforce, but you guys have done enough deals that we get to piggyback on whatever you've negotiated with a vendor. I wasn't excited at first, but very quickly, within a week or two, I get it. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, that's that's helpful. Yeah, you probably great. should sell that a little more in your in your pitch because <laughs> I I don't think I heard that going into the deal. We we could have done it at a, a faster we pace. Have, yep, we have a good good procurement department. So part of that going from three hundred to nine hundred has been acquisitions. So we've done I think eight acquisitions that we've closed. Yeah, and we have one that's pending. Right. The acquisitions that we've closed, talk about just what was the strategy? What were we looking for? Is this you know, market scale? Is this new products, new data sets that we can bring together? How did you think about the strategy of the, the tuck-in acquisitions that we've made? They're all a little bit different. The common thread would be a good business with good people. 
data exhaust. So the, the business on its own had to make sense and be an additive. And then we had to have a belief that when we actually took that data set and combined it, that we would get some new business that wasn't really part of either of our. The second, like for us, the big litmus test is the people. We look at a lot of deals and the ones we haven't done. I'm sure it's the same in private equity. You just don't get comfortable that the person at the top is, I mean, they're spending more time worrying about how you're structuring the deal and how it's going to benefit them. Then you never heard about their employees. You didn't hear about the customer. It's usually we walk from those. Again, our business is based on trust, right? So JD Power, not only the data business, but market research, like we really have, we can't have bad actors. <laughs> we have a lot of employees, so you do your best to try and have the right culture and weed that out. So we look at that probably more so than I think a lot of companies do. We're more sensitive to that. The other thing we were looking for is, at least on half of those, the founder. So you'd have a founder who'd done two or three companies really knew a vertical well and you know you really want that person on your team and they have a discipline you don't have and frankly at jd power a 50 year old company that was once owned by s p and then spun out you don't have as much entrepreneurial dna and so some of those you're you're acquiring that dna and then you go how do i keep these people how do we empower them how do you let them feel like they're still can unleash their entrepreneurial spirit and build big things and that gets tricky you know, usually the processes that we put in place, if you're a 200 person company and suddenly you're JD Power at, you know, 2,500 or 3,000, we have certainly different regulatory requirements and process that, that takes them sometimes a while to get used to. But so far it's worked. They're all staying and, and producing new products. So yeah, we, we probably, those are the differences we look at from at least historically the types of deals I would have done. Dave, let's talk about Two things. First of all, maybe a little bit about where we're going and we can chat a little bit about this pending acquisition because it's taking us in a bit of a new direction. And then also talk about where the auto industry is going, some of the exciting trends that we're all reading about in the the newspaper, electric vehicles, connected cars, autonomous vehicles, more modern, different types of retailing and how we are changing with the times and developing products to to continue to push those trends forward. So Shady Power over the next, you know, five to 10 years, one, we're going to stay focused in our, our auto vertical. I think well, there's areas we probably will expand relative to insurance and using our data to ensure better outcomes on residual values, helping our customers with using the data in a more sophisticated way. The acquisition in Europe, highly focused on customer outcomes and a pain point with our auto OEMs. And that is they understand the ecosystem to some degree in the US, but these platforms are very similar and you know different name on the car. But for the most part, it's a similar vehicle and they don't have those data sets. So they're sitting there trying to stitch the stuff together. It's not good for the consumer. It's not good for them, right? So the consumer is paying more to have an ecosystem that can somehow try and solve for a residual value on a vehicle that you know ha- is in a crash and how you determine the VIN on that relative to what the cost to fix it is and a residual value on should I get rid of it. And a lot of that could be faster, better, more accurate if we use the same data from the US. And so that'll prove to be a good acquisition for both the car manufacturers and consumers. The industry is going to go through a lot of chaos, I think. I think most people would agree. We do well in chaos. That's kind of the gasoline to our fire. I always describe 
our business is being driven by change. So if there's not change in the industry, you don't really need insights, right? Because last five years are going to look like the next five years. And a lot of our business is driven by, we don't know what to build. We don't know where to build it. We don't know what's on the car. Change drives it. Electrification, big one, right? We provide a lot of data to utility companies where you should put infrastructure charging, what cars you should build for which market. The big ones I think are that are even bigger than electrification are connected cars and I wouldn't say full autonomy in the next two years, but you know, level three, we're seeing, you know, and Mercedes was given a level three certification in California two months ago. So you can seventy, eighty thousand dollar car off the shelf, right out of the dealer, drive, text, watch a movie, and take your eyes off the road as long as you're sitting in the seat and when it nudges you take over. Not good advice for my sixteen year old daughter. No, no, it isn't. So you have a regulatory issue. The amount of computing power in those cars right now is extraordinary. So there's a bunch of data that sits on the car that is somewhat in dispute. Does the dealer own it? Does the auto manufacturer, do you as a consumer own it? And so that's one of the reasons why you have this stasis where there's a tremendous amount of data, but not necessarily a natural way to use it. We kind of sit in the middle of that and go, okay, what's allowed? What does the consumer, the OEM, and the dealer all agree on so we can actually solve a problem? How do you make the car safer, better, cheaper? more reliable, more efficient. All those things can't happen if you don't have data and you can't share it. So huge problem, massive problem that we'll spend five, 10 years on, but great opportunity. The other one that gets much more contentious is autonomous, like full autonomous, like a real autonomous vehicle that doesn't have steering wheel and pedals. And so, I mean, that's probably bigger than electrification. What it comes down to though is a computing problem, a data problem, regulatory problem, in an industry where you need a trusted partner and a third party to help manage these things. And that's a lot of what we do and then the regulatory side. So yeah, that's one that I'm really excited by. Yeah, that's an incredible amount of technical change, technological change in one industry in a short period of time. Um, And good that it benefits JD Power. Yeah, I think it will. Well, that was awesome, Dave. Thanks for being here. I think we're all a little bit smarter on uh, the auto industry and and JD Power and exciting times ahead for the company. So thanks for being here and sharing with us. Thanks for being a good partner. My thanks to David Habiger at JD Power. You can learn more about JD Power by visiting jdpower.com. And for more stories behind the deal, check out all of our episodes from season one wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to Behind the Deal for our new episodes from season two. And if you like this episode, check out our new mini series, Beyond the Deal, with bonus content from me and David Habitcher that we didn't have time to share with you today. It will be dropping on this feed soon with full video of the interview available on YouTube. I'm Scott Crable. Thanks for listening. Toma Bravo's Behind the Deal is produced by Toma Bravo in partnership with Pod People. Stay tuned for more stories behind the deal. I'm Orlando Bravo. Thanks for listening. Certain statements about Toma Bravo made by portfolio company executives are intended to illustrate Toma Bravo's business relationship with such persons, rather than Toma Bravo's capabilities or expertise with respect to investment advisory services. 
Portfolio company executives were not compensated in connection with their podcast participation, although they generally receive compensation and investment opportunities in connection with their portfolio company roles, and in certain cases are also owners of portfolio company securities and or investors in Toma Bravo funds. Such compensation and investments subject podcast participants to potential conflicts of interest.